0: Welcome to Rise to Offend, the podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and the end result of it. And this week is part two of our discussion of Chappelle show. At this point, the show has become a cultural phenom. The second season premiered January 21st, 2004, and the first season DVDs became the biggest selling TV on DVD of all time. But ultimately, the success and pressure was too much leading to Dave abandoning his own show in 2005 the reason was never fully addressed but here was a response by dave himself in an interview with oprah in 2005.
1: you know struggled to get it sacrificed rejected many times told that things wouldn't work wouldn't work wouldn't work and then all of a sudden you're the genius and we're going to give you 50 million dollars and that was too much for you to handle
2: no
3: that's the thing that i always read that that makes me mad no it was the fame couldn't stand the fame yeah i love being famous yeah it's the way that people around you position themselves around you to get in your pockets and in your mind that
0: it, it's infuriating to me all right guys and joining me once again rise to offend founder brandon Guchan. Yes. yes the dvd for season one was the best selling tv on dvd of all time By the way, thanks
4: for buying last year's DVD if you did. And thank you for the this DVD of all time. And thanks for buying
0: it. And a lot of people that don't realize, when TV was first released on DVD, this was a huge thing. Like when The Simpsons was released or the Seinfeld episodes were released. People ran in droves to the store to get these because these episodes were only available for, you know, if you're watching at a certain time for pretty much many, many years. Um, so that, that that climate alone was something that you can get famous off of TV later. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where yeah. that wasn't really a thing. If your
5: ratings weren't good for many years, you were not going to continue on. Well, because up until that point, everybody made it a point to set the VCR. And if they didn't, they were like, well, you know, now at the, like, around, that was right around the time when we started to realize that people would just wait for the DVD and then just binge watch through everything, and and that eventually did hurt, you know, TV and yes. make streams Yeah, they call it they call it appointment viewing. Yeah, you know, so it's like that totally hurt like ratings. You know, people would gather around the TV, and it was Wednesdays at ten thirty. That's when Chappelle's show aired, yep. and uh, people would gather on the TV at that time to make sure that we, they watched it. They didn't miss it, and if they missed it, they were like, well, they would probably end up missing the rest of the episodes because they'd go, well, I'll just wait for it to come out on DVD. That, no that, that
0: is exactly how the market was. So with this becoming the best-selling TV of DVD of all time, the pressures were huge. Now, the first episode, as we mentioned in the end of the last episode, the political climate had changed. We just went to war. Um, And in the very first episode, Dave and Neil address a lot of jokes that are going to be towards that political climate. One of the first sketches he does is vote for Dave.
3: Although America is the greatest nation in the world, we still face many modern problems. And modern problems require modern solutions. Teen pregnancy is a huge problem in this country. And what we need are more programs in place that promote abstinence. My solution? That every high school principal has sex with the oldest teacher in the school in front of the students, And make sure you rub them both with mandates to accept the sound of their old flesh flapping together. This pandemic is sure to be a deterrent that the children will never forget. God.
0: Damn, that's gross. I'm
3: Dave Chappelle,
0: and I want to represent you. When they do the racial draft, a lot of their jokes are going to be made at the expense of political figures, something that was not even on the radar in the first season. So that was something that changed a lot in that season. Do I you remember the white,
5: the white delegation drafted Colin Powell? Correct. <laughs> it was like, he's not even a little white. We,
3: the white delegation, are very proud to announce our pick this year. Colin Powell! What? <laughs> Colin Powell is not
1: white. He's, he's not even an eighth white. He's 100% black.
3: Last I heard. Wow,
5: I gotta wonder how the blacks are gonna be taking this one. Unbelievable. Colin Powell and Condoleezza Rice now officially white. OJ, black again. <laughs> and and like you take Condoleezza Rice, we'll throw it a deal. All and, right. And, and that's it. that's what happened. And they gave away and, and
0: exactly that political thing, which was not a part of the first season. No. So you can see that their their mindset is is socially changing. Do you think that maybe they're they're going to more of a broader sense because they feel a lot of the backlash was for him
5: being socially irresponsible in that first season? Uh, no, I think at that point, Dave was a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a voice. He he was a voice of a generation at that point. And I honestly think uh, Chappelle's show, like, helped everyone kind of open their eyes to... I don't know. The stereotypes of black America changed after Dave Chappelle. You know what I mean? Like there was he was he was he was presenting like a different voice, a different view of things. And I personally think because of that change, I think it's I think that's one of the things that had helped Barack Obama get elected. I just think that there were a lot of things that happened as a result of the Chappelle show. Now, Granted, I mean, I might sound like an asshole, but I definitely think that at that time, everybody was like the white people that were scared of voting for a black dude. They're like, I don't know, what's he gonna do? You know, and now all of a sudden, after Dave Chappelle, it's like, no, it's probably nothing, nothing bad's gonna happen, and they went there and they voted for him, you know?
3: I have, I'm I'm one of the few black people who's had this experience. I have to have meetings where I'm in, like, a room full of white people explaining my use of the word nigger. Like, I have to justify it to corporate white America. And then when I leave the room, they go, that
4: nigger is crazy. <laughs> but he's got some good points. You know, uh, Dick Gregory, the great comedian from the 60s and 70s, said that Black people not being able to say the n-word is like uh, Jewish people not being able to say swastika. Dick Gregory also entitled
3: his autobiography, nigger. And the foreword actually said, to my mother, so every time she hears that word, she will think they're talking about my, my book. <laughs> Which was hilarious. He's a funny
4: dude. 60s,
0: man. And, and that's not a, that, what you said, it's not a jump. It's very true. Because when you make everyone seem equal and everybody on the same page and being made in front of each other, it's relatable, mm-hmm. and that, it, that did help something like that. So I just
3: want to take a moment to explain myself,
0: okay? I'm not advocating in any way,
3: shape, or form any type of racial hatred. I'm just making fun of each other's culture. It's fun. <laughs> problem is when you do stereotypical kind of jokes, there's no room for subtlety.
0: Now... With all the sketches that are going on, the format was still as it was in the first season, except the musical act was more present. So you would get about 15 minutes, 17 minutes of sketches in the one musical act in season two. The sketch that finally changed everything, I think, even though, like I said, the success is through the roof with the DVD. What I think the sketch that changed everything is episode four, where they did the Charlie Murphy stories. Oh,
4: all right, now here's the story of this. We were doing the Time Hater sketch. Gita runs with Charlie. Charlie goes... Somebody brings up Rick James, Charlie goes, you know I've had to fight that motherfucker like ten times. Forks drop. Forks Like, what did you just say? Yeah, see, him and Eddie was cool. Rick produced Party all the time for Eddie. So, Eddie's single. Eddie's record. And, uh, so... He starts telling us these stories, and they're like the most cinematic visual... Charlie's obviously a great storyteller anyway. They're the most cinematic visual stories you have ever seen. And we wanted to do a Rick James sketch, and we incidentally didn't have any material for the coming weeks. But yeah, we needed sketches, so it all worked out. So then we just were like, tell those stories. But when I first when I shot Men in Tights,
3: I was nineteen. Robert they had Tights, me, the Mel Brooks. They had me staying in a hotel on Sunset, and I used to hang out in the lobby. You know, I was just out in L.A. by myself. I didn't know anybody. I didn't drive, which is right. a nightmare in L.A. And Rick James used to hang out in the lobby all the time. And he used to talk to me on a regular basis. I don't even know if Rick would remember this. I'll never forget it. Really? Yeah, and he was a real nice dude. I used to talk to him, like, all the time. At least four times I can remember talking to him. Like, for an hour for, or something? For, like, up to an hour, yeah. Rick James' only comment about this sketch was, I didn't have no gold tooth, nigga. <laughs> That's what he actually said to me on the phone. I didn't have no gold tooth, nigga.
0: And now, if anybody hasn't seen the Rick
5: James sketch, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yes. Where the fuck have you been if you haven't seen the Rick, Rick James sketch? I had to show that to someone who was like maybe 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I go, you've never seen the Chappelle show Rick James sketch? i like, no. I'm like, here you go. Watch. And I mean, dude, totally great. Still great. Not yeah. dated at all. And this, this person was laughing their ass off. Couldn't believe it. And what they did in that sketch though Unity Is
0: Is, <laughs> is they took a great storyteller Charlie Murphy's a great storyteller um, And what they did is they made Absolute fun of everything The time period, the dress The attitude, the drug abuse Everything Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise Charlie Murphy's true Hollywood
3: stories <laughs>
6: Out the Navy, my brother's famous. He, I was a huge Rick James fan. That's the first person that I would say, out of all the celebrities that I met, that I was, I was starstruck. We gonna hang out with Rick James tonight, you know what I'm saying? And here he comes out the room, and I look at him, and I'm not bullshitting, I man. I seen like, like an orange. His aura, or whatever. I, I seen it. it was orange. He started kicking it and he was mad niggerish, man, which was you know, right up my alley. I'm one of the baddest motherfuckers of all time. One of the best singers, one of the best looking motherfuckers you've ever seen. Hold my drink, bitch. We went to Studio 54. We walking up into the VIP section, and um, I'm looking around and see who's there, we the girls and everything, and all of a sudden I heard something
5: go,
3: Charlie Murphy!
6: He had this ring on to commemorate this song he had put out called Unity. And this was a, this and this was imprinted in that black head of his for at least a week. <laughs> Unity! Eddie and everybody else thought that that was the funniest shit. And so that threw me in a weird space, because I'm like, I'm that nigga to steal on, you know what I'm saying? Well, what, what, you gonna smack me back? I'm Rick James, he's Charlie Murphy. I waited, because I knew what, what hotel he was staying in. Eddie and then went home and I said, yeah, I'll be right back. I shout over to the hotel.
2: Charlie Murphy! And
6: he had his hand cocked to throw another red hand. When he's coming for his camp, BOW! Caught him with the front. He'll tell like he gave me some kind of Bruce Lee cross kick or something. I kicked the shit out of him. You know you was wrong for what you did to me earlier.
3: Look what you did to my face. <laughs> I'm sorry, Charlie Murphy, it was an accident. I was having too much fun. I'll free with troops. The stickiest of the icky.
6: You want to smoke with the old boy, Rick James? Yo, man, my forehead is bumping, man. That was how that particular incident ended, but it wasn't the last time I had to whip his ass, whip his ass, whip his ass. The the Studio 54 thing, you know, that that blew over. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, but then, you know, here we go again.
3: Cocaine is a hell of a drug.
6: <laughs> Rick is encouraging me. You know he, shows up at my brother's house, fucked up. Nice place, nigga. So he had these, these dirty cowboy boots on. <laughs> Pushed this out of the way, barged in the house. My brother had these brand new couches. They were suede, right? And he gets on the couch and says,
2: why don't I stretch out?
6: <laughs> and just started grinding the mud on his couch, yeah. Yeah, I remember grinding my feet on that couch.
3: Fuck your couch, nigga. <laughs> Buy another one, you rich motherfucker! Up your couch, nigga! Fuck your couch! Darknesses! Darknesses!
6: Because my my complexion, used to call me Darkness. He calls me and my brother Darkness. He calls us Darkness Brothers. See, this is long before Wesley names. Back then, we was the blackest <laughs> niggas on the planet. And he's both of us Brother Darkness. twin Brother Darkness. And we stand in looking at him.
3: He's looking right in our eyes as he grinds his mud. See, I never just did things just to do them. Come on, I mean, what am I going to do? Just just all of a sudden just jump up and grind my feet on somebody's couch? Like it's like, you know, something to do?
0: Come on, I got no more sense than that. Yeah, I remember grinding my feet on his couch. (laughs) Everything. And from that sketch, a little line that came out of nowhere, I'm Rick James, bitch, changed everything for Dave. Because now... Anytime he did stand-up, his first love, and what he always wanted to do, hecklers would never stop saying that line. So now for the rest of his career, he was going to have to hear people walk up to him in a restaurant and say, I'm Rick James, bitch.
5: And, w- and one of his uh, stand-up specials, it was the one after Killing Him Softly. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it. Still really funny. Um, he even brings that up. He's like, I'll be at Disneyland with my kids. I'm Rick James, bitch. I'm Rick James, bitch. He's like, you might not call me a bitch in front of my kids. You know what I mean? Like, and that was a thing. All right. So I'm Rick James, bitch. We just needed a thing to put under the to be continued. It
4: didn't, we didn't think we, it wasn't the cynical thing. Like we got to create a catchphrase or something. I didn't we think just, I was going to hear that every day. For we me. just needed something to put under the to be continued and that was it I'm Rick James bitch and then like within that by that weekend it aired Wednesday by that weekend we heard stories of people in Vegas saying that they were at the same and dudes Rick used to say that yeah Rick actually used to say that so it yeah, wasn't like not, we didn't catch it. Right. Rick like would say like, I I'm Rick that. James But I actually think Comedy Central at one point said that there was too much Charlie yeah they didn't think Charlie talking was funny which was really a weird note Yeah,
3: I, I don't understand the methodology of what they like and don't like I, I think, think what they don't like is usually the funniest shit we got, though.
4: Yeah, that's a. Gen- if they don't like the sketch, then generally that's we're a good show. That's like our best-of show is, is stuff they were scared about, which is like, that's the point of having a show. It's like, we're sort of going forward, whereas they tend to think more defensively.
6: But then it was like, you know what? Let's handle this one over there. Like right. Hey, talk about me. And we held him down, and we just wailed on his legs. Ah!
3: Darkness, you black, midnight, evil motherfucker, black magic, darkness, wrong, darkness, you fucking delirious motherfucker. Aye. You were cold as ice.
6: <laughs> but still, Big James, even after taking a beating like that. Fuck your couch, nigga. This motherfucker is going out. His legs is like like Weenie. I've
3: been kicked out of bad homes in this. <laughs> Why
0: having They say no, man, you So with all this happening in the span of months for Dave Chappelle, now he has power. Before you had fame and now you have power. But with power you have a different result. Your life is different. You can't Say certain things, you can't act a certain way. Anything now can fall apart. So now he's walking the slippery slope. After this sketch, I think the Rick James one, that has solidified him in the history of kind of comedy.
3: Since I started the second season, one like when I walk down the street, people always scream stuff out. Like I be with my kids, people are like, "I'm Rick James, bitch." You know what I'm <laughs> the other thing that happens, which I think is the worst, is when people come up to me and try to give me ideas for the show.
5: Send them shits to the proper channels, all right? I don't think he realized just how big of a celebrity he was until this second season. Because the first season, again, was so great, but... Mm-hmm. The DVD sales is what changed everything. Exactly. It, you know, but, uh, but the thing is, though, is after this one, this is, I think this season is really what pushed it over the edge. Because, again, they were bringing in politics. They were bringing in so, uh, current events. They were, they were giving their takes on things. And whether you want to admit it or not, they matter. Mm-hmm. If it's a comic, a lot of the times that a lot of the times a, a voice we made how many comics have we seen like Bill Hicks for example. Yeah. Like there was things that he was saying in 1990 that everyone was like this guy's a stain. Nope. There's no way it's going to happen. And dude, you watch some old Bill Hicks videos and he is he's like he's Nostradamus. He is predicting exactly what's going on right now. Yeah. First taping of the year, Murphy. That's right. We were much more
2: popular this year.
5: Yeah, first season,
4: first show, we could not get an audience. And then this year, it became like, you know, uh, a hot ticket or whatever you say. Yeah. Which we would never, really, we just would hear about it. Like, there's a line around the, but we were always just working. Like, basically, the on tape nights, we're running, usually we will have stayed up for like the previous 48 hours. Um, a lot of editing goes on. A lot on. of editing, a lot of final music stuff goes in, because we like, you know, we don't like to, we don't put fake laughs so whatever laughs we get at the at this part the wraparound part is what we're gonna get
0: comedy a comedian is who speaks to the youth a comedian is who mobilizes things to a younger generation that because they're relatable they still are of that mindset yeah and at that time dave was probably
5: what 32 33 years old he was like 30
0: yeah yeah 32, exactly, he was like of that age And he also did sketches for people that were above that Like there was one that's that's really, uh, I don't know if it's a classic or a famous one But he did a sketch called The Three Daves Where he showed himself at 18, he showed himself at 24 And he showed himself at 30 mm-hmm. And how he grew as a person
3: Many guys are familiar with my on-screen persona But the question keeps popping up Who is Dave Chappelle really? Well guys, the answer isn't so simple you see, in the last 12 years, I've been at least three different people. There's me at 18, sincere, earnest, relentlessly optimistic, and then there was me at 24, budding movie star, reefer addict, and a man with a sexual appetite that would make Michael Douglas seem gay. <laughs> then, of course, there's the man who stands in front of you now, proud father, loyal husband, and prompt taxpayer. All three of these men had different psyches and handled things in
0: very different ways. Look at the end result of what happened with Dave in the Chappelle show is that you as a comedian, okay, the jokes you told when you were 18, the jokes you told when you were 24, the jokes you told when you were 30 at this age now, you have to be able to look back and say that's the best I can do or that's the most important work of my career when you've already outgrown it are smarter, are better, and all those things.
5: I think it's very hard for an artist to look back in in the past. Mm -hmm. First off, if you're an artist and you're looking at the past going, that's the best work I'm ever going to do, that's a problem. Yeah. you got to keep going. Every artist, every true artist, especially musicians, right? Whenever you hear a musician talk about their their upcoming album, nine times out of 10, they go, it's the best work we've ever done. It's the best lyrics I've ever done. And granted, it may not catch on with the fans, but in their opinion, the guitar playing is a lot sharper. The lyrics are a lot sharper. But again, a lot of people have a hard time letting go of nostalgia. I want you to be the same 18-year-old angry guy that you used to be. What are you? Why are you so angry now at 38? It, it doesn't add up. You have Have to allow these artists to grow and that's the one Thing with comedy comedy You could see a growth take place In comedy if you grow with them But that's something
0: that people always forget is That when the 18 year old sees You at 18 say you did a video in 2002 whatever the case may be You're still that to them Mm -hmm. They haven't grown with you That's the introduction you know something That you did that was great a long time ago And that defines you In a lot of ways (sighs) Ah.
1: What is
3: it, honey? I got a big meeting tomorrow and I still can't sleep. I took sleeping pills and everything.
0: Relax, honey. I think I've got just the thing. From the makers of Valtran and Similox comes America's number one sleeping aid, Ribs. (laughs) Hickory!
2: Oh, wow. Here's
0: how it works. Once ingested, ribs go to work on your stomach, spreading barbecue sauce and greasy porkiness throughout, creating an age-old condition called the itis. You'll feel sluggish, drowsy, and should be asleep in a matter of minutes.
5: That's <laughs> Thanks,
0: ribs. Side effects include laziness, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, barbecue stains, wild bowels, doo-doo smells worse, and mud. <laughs> Ugh. Mud Do you think that there was a point in Chappelle's show during the second season that
5: Dave maybe was like, I don't want this to define me? Well, I definitely think that happened or else we wouldn't have had the end result. Mm -hmm. You know, I definitely think that he was looking at the body of work that he laid out in front of him, uh, especially when both seasons were done. And then... Where I think it really hit him was the season three, when they were, trying, when they were starting to record season three, mm-hmm. and you did see the writing. The writing took a massive dip, you know, because how many, again, a lot of the stuff that Dave Chappelle was writing, a lot of it was based on race. Well, eventually, how many more times are you going to be able to get away with the same jokes? You know, how many more times are you going to be able to get, that's the one thing with race humor nowadays in 2018, it's kind of hack. Because of of stuff like this, though, you know, because of
0: you know the popularity of something like Chappelle's Show. But going back to the sketches, though, he did so many sketches that yes, were based on race. But what about something like the Prince sketch?
6: Prince, uh, talks to my brother. Hello, Eddie
0: Murphy. Prince, what's up? I'm
6: a big fan of your comedies. Ooh, that's hot. Would you like to come to my house and listen to some music? Ooh, that's cool. Foodie, get the car. We get there, he puts the tracks on tracks, were slamming. You know what I mean? we listening to the music and everything. We're at the cribs, we got girls over there. Yeah, had a nice environment, it was tight.
3: This bores me. Is anyone up for a game of basketball?
2: <laughs> <laughs> How about you and your friends versus me and the revolution?
6: I was like, this nigga must be joking, man. He, I, don't know, I don't know where he's going with this and shit. But he was dead serious. He had his uh, help or whatever, go and get some like shorts and sneakers and gave them to us and laughing. I'm like, this is going to be some funny ass shit. So they come out, right? And I look at them and uh, they still got on the same shit they been wearing at the club. I ain't thinking about playing ball in that, but they were. I, I said, hey, you know what? You know what gonna call this? The shirts against the blouse. <laughs> <laughs> and when I said that, this look came on his face. Uh-huh. He asked really <laughs> And I'm looking back at him thinking to myself, you know, well, what are you angry about? I mean, you know where you got that shirt from. <laughs> and the damn show was not the men's department. <laughs> I mean, I kind of learned something that day. Don't, they never judge a book by its cover. This cat can ball, man. Play ball. I mean, it wasn't even like it was close. It was a landslide victory. <laughs> Game.
3: Blouses.
6: All right, he beat you in basketball, and then what
0: happened? After it was all over, he took us in the house to serve his pancakes. That he was most famous kind of for, for this season that are most memorable to the audience were nothing to do with race.
5: And I think, I definitely, I don't think he looks back at the entire body of work mm-hmm. and goes, oh man, we really fucked up. You know, I think he looks at, I think he does take certain things like, um, you know, there's something there, there's something to be said when a, when a comic breaks free from the norm, you know, and they start doing uh, material that they're not necessarily familiar with. It's exciting. It's fun. You know, when they did, when they did, Eat with the, the Charlie Murphy, eat True Hollywood stories. Mm-hmm. They were, it was just them sitting around a, at, yeah, lunch at lunch and yeah. then, and then Charlie Murphy's telling us the story and they're like, what? And they basically just went off of his story you know, so they probably had him tell the story and then they go, all right, let's reenact this. And they just made it stupid and, and silly. You know, but, it, but the reason why that was so funny, though, is like, you know, fuck your couch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm Rick James, bitch. Unity. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm bleeding inside my chest. You it was know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. It was, it was his performance. It's the same thing when uh, you would see uh, Will Ferrell. Like, one of my favorite all-time SNL sketches is when he does uh, Neil Diamond. And it's not at all. It's not anything close to Neil Diamond. Dave Chappelle does the worst Prince I've ever seen. Exactly, but it's so silly. It's mm-hmm. so yeah. funny, and there's there's such a there's such a comedic element to it. And I mean, even if you're Prince and you're watching this, going like, "This doesn't look like me." Yeah, I, we know that. But watch how silly this is.
0: Let's talk about some sketches because, like I said, eventually the fall was because he felt he was being socially irresponsible. He he has quoted saying that a few times. But it
4: is a personal sketch show. It is a guy with a point of view. Who has a sketch show. SNL has 26 writers. I was 16 in that picture. Therefore, SNL has 26 points of view. We have two writers and I'm basically trying to write from your point of view. I mean, like
0: that's the idea. So it's like it's it's you get personal sketches. Let's look at a couple sketches where he is socially aware and he's making fun of things. There was one sketch on the show where they made fun of the legal system and they showed what if it was reversed so they had like a, a crack dealer that was an african american versus a white guy that was like a, a a bank fraud guy and they reverse them and they show how they treat you know the white guy um you know pretty much giving him no chance to even win a case and then they show how <laughs> they treat that. the crackhead guys like, they had come day. in when you want you know it's no big deal we're we're good like that and they he revert he role reverses that these major corporations they rip
3: everybody off enrons and Tycos and all this stuff. They don't get no time in jail. (laughs) I gotta get in on this being white thing. (laughs) It's like there's two legal systems damn near. It'd be better if they, just for like maybe three days, if like they actually put those guys through the legal system that we all have to go through. And then they put like crack dealers and shit through the legal system that they go through. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? Nigga, I said stop calling y'all, right? I'm bagging the
2: coke up as fast as I can. I'm Detective Charles Stevens from the Dade County Police Department. I've got a warrant here for your arrest. A warrant? Charges cocaine trafficking. And uh, frankly, I'm afraid I don't know how to handle it.
3: Oh man, we gotta be careful with this. We don't want to embarrass somebody like me in front of my family and my community. (laughs) I tell you what, I'll come in and turn myself in around uh, Thursday, okay? Is one o'clock good for you? Oh no, that's no good for me. I got some tram coming at 12. I, I turn myself in, say, between 2 and 6.
2: Thank you so very much for your help. And again, I'm sorry for the inconvenience.
3: Oh, no problem. Well, One love. Yeah,
5: yeah I, I love you too. Anyway, he points the gun at us and he tells his dog to sick us. It was at that point that I fired upon the canine and we were able to subdue Mr. Jeffries. On further search of the mansion, we were able to locate this. Pure Colombian heroin. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Your Honor, I don't know whose heroin that is, but it certainly is not mine. And his wife threw her titties in my hand. <laughs> it was weird, Your Honor. You grabbed her titties. I saw you. Uh,
2: before I sentence you, is there anything you'd like to say? Okay first of all All right that's enough you're the worst kind of scum on the face of the earth you're an animal and you will receive the mandatory minimum of life in prison (laughs) plenty of time to lift weights and convert
0: to islam (laughs) get out of my sight
5: you fuck
0: it was brilliant
5: is that socially irresponsible See, I don't think it is because it, it, I, it actually. It, t- I think, it, you know what it reminds me of? Remember that, what was that Matthew McConaughey movie with Sam Jackson? The Time to Kill. A Time to Kill. Remember that, remember that monologue that McConaughey does at the end mm-hmm. where he's talking about Sam Jackson's daughter getting raped. And then he just goes, now imagine if she's white. You know, and it's like, and then the audience, you know, and then the jury's like, oh, you know, oh, that's right. Yeah, if it was a white girl, then it's wrong. Well, first off, you're fucking stupid if it it took you that long to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But again, in that movie, it was very poignant the way he said it, the way he delivered it. That's what Chappelle was doing. That's exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He was pointing things out. And my deal is, is like, yeah. And of course he made it stupid. Like when he was the, when the judge was sentencing the white dude and he's like, you big lipped beast. Yeah. You know what I mean? You dark skin, whatever, you know? And he kept like, he kept like, you know, bringing up all these negative racial stereotypes for black Americans. It was just like, it was so silly, but he's calling a white dude the same shit. And it had me dying. It was so silly. But at the same time, Dave was over here calling this shit out before Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee. You know, this is – how long ago was this? 2004. There you go. 14 years ago. Okay, 14 years ago. Dave was way ahead of the game. So, so, it, so to say so, – so that's why it bothers me when he's, saying, when he's saying he's being socially irresponsible. It's like, dude, no, you weren't. You were calling shit out before it was happening.
0: There's another sketch. Let's talk about a few other ones. There was another sketch where he did about uh, like a 50-style show – it was called the N word <laughs> <the N-word> family, <laughs> yeah. right? Where he just—that was the the last name of the this this now, white family, like, like a that, Leave It to Beaver thing. Something like that. Was the N word?
5: Something like that. The
0: punchline for that entire sketch was the N word. Yes.
4: Now- I refuse. Like the actors can sometimes do weird shit. Like, or <laughs> I can't say nigga, <laughs> nigree. It's not coming out. Um. So, uh, so then we had the guy come in, and it was me, Dave, and Rusty, and it was basically like, "Oh, it was terrible!" He was so red. Can you say nigger for us? And it was just like he got so red in the face. And, he, and... I mean, I got red in the face if that's possible. <laughs> and he said it, and the rest, and he's and he's been hot ever since, kiddo. It paid off. No, and he did the sketch, and he's great. He's funny, dude.
3: Damn, the show's was crazy.
4: You know, when you watch it now, it don't seem crazy, and then. This show is like a long-ass, weird-ass dream sequence to me. You know what I mean? It, I, I like, like, I'll look back on these four years as like, or however long we do the show, I'm assuming it'll be four years, and just be like, that was the weirdest period, and just, we did, we've did, we done so much material, and it's like, you forget, and you, you just, it, it'll just, it's like a, and it's, we get so little sleep when we're doing it that it's just... It's like a fever dream. One, yeah, one thing blends into the next, and...
5: Ow. Something like that, I could see him looking back on it because again, there was a lot of white dudes saying it, but again, mm-hmm. once again, and I will stand by this till i 'm blue in the face, it's all in the context, yeah. and the only one that and the only one that made it that took it out of context was dave's character as the milkman in that in that sketch because he was the one that was like that was pointing out just how silly and insane this sounded, you know and now all of a sudden he wants to look back on it oh you know I made white people say the n-word I should be more responsible than that Dave no you, you, you were doing the right thing the whole time
0: what about the sketch when uh, he did a game show called do you know black people
5: Okay, you know I almost was afraid no one
3: would be here I had a conversation that upset me where a dude said my show was offensive to black people normally that doesn't bother me but he was white so it freaked me out <laughs> he had me thinking for a second word but he might have a point. I'm not gonna discount him just because he was white. Who knows? Some people just know black people. Why do black people love menthol so much? I don't, I don't know. Um, that is correct.
2: <laughs> All right.
3: Nobody knows. Nobody knows. For sure.
6: Cause that's what Newports are.
4: That is correct. Uh, is it a fact that they uh, like mental cigarettes? I'm not even sure.
5: Um, I don't know. Great that space? is correct. Uh, <laughs> no one knows. Well, see, it's funny because one of the people in that sketch was a white dude who, was a, who majored, who was a, uh, I think he had his degree in African-American studies. He was a teacher in African-American yeah, studies. Yeah, yeah. It was a white dude teaching African-American studies. Mm-hmm. So that right away was was weird to me, but it was funny how he got the questions right. Now, I don't know if he was an actor or if he really was. I think he was just a regular dude. These were regular people. Yeah, you know, and the other guys, you know, so I could see something like that. I mean, I do think that when you... Uh, I think that the sketches when he was painting african americans as like you know almost like too street mm-hmm. i can almost i can see him i could see where that would rub him the wrong way mm-hmm. i could see where he would see that like for example like white people would look at that and view african americans the wrong way you know like for example one of the reasons that i heard that one of the things that sent him over the top was he was filming a sketch in season three Mm -hmm. and there was a white dude in the audience and Dave just said he zeroed in on him and he goes, he laughed the wrong way. Correct. He wasn't laughing at what what I thought was to be funny. He was probably laughing at the things that Dave was scared of, the things that, the things that d- made Dave walk away, the fact that he was contributing to a stereotype that he wanted erased.
1: You mentioned a moment ago that you felt that there were some things that weren't socially responsible, like what?
3: Like there's this is one sketch we did that was about the, this pixie that would appear whenever racist things happen. Whenever someone make you feel like they calling you that N word, mm-hmm. but don't say it. And it was it was funny. And it, the premise of the sketch was that every race had this, like, pixie, this, like, racial complex. And uh, but the but the pixie was in blackface. Now, blackface is a very difficult image. But the reason I had chosen blackface at the time was because this was going to be the visual personification of the N word. It, right. it, it was a it was a good spirit or intention behind it. But What I didn't consider is how many people watch the show and how the way people use television is subjective. So then when I'm on the set and we're finally taping the sketch, somebody on the set that was white laughed in such a way. I know the difference of people laughing with me and people laughing at me. And it was the first time I'd ever gotten a laugh that I was uncomfortable with. Not just uncomfortable, but like, should I fire this person? <laughs> uh, and at the same time, I'm just not a naturally assertive person. I know all these people be watching TV. That there's a lot of people who will understand exactly what I'm doing. Then there's another group of people who are just fans, like the the people that the kind of people that scream, "I'm Rick James," be at my concerts. Yeah. That there's along for a different kind of celebrity worship right? They're gonna get it, something. I don't want. I got I mean, I don't want black people to be disappointed in me
0: for putting that out there. No, you like, don't
1: want to be disappointed in yourself.
0: You know what? Oprah? <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Let's go to one more sketch and tell me if you think this one's socially responsible. It's when Dave um, has to testify in famous court cases of oh, the one with people R. Like Kelly, O. J. Oh. Simpson, R. Kelly, uh, Michael Jackson. And how he refuses to believe they did anything wrong right, because right. they're African-American. I, yeah. Is that socially irresponsible? A
3: friend of mine, Neil Brennan, uh, we always have this ongoing discussion. Every time there's a black celebrity in trouble, Neil's of the belief that I never think he's guilty. And the reason he thinks that is because I never think they're guilty. <laughs> it's just how I roll, man. To me, it's all about reasonable doubt. What's a reasonable doubt to a white person? You know, might not be a reasonable doubt to a black person. If they had me on jury selection in some of these celebrity trials, it would be a long day.
2: A long day. Uh, Mr. Chappelle, yes. are you aware that Mr. Simpson is going to be on trial for a double homicide? Yeah, I heard about it. It's all bullshit, man. Oh, he ain't going to kill nobody. He's rich. But Mr. Chappelle, what if I told you that we had DNA evidence linking Mr. Simpson to the scene of the crime? Then I'd have to ask you where you found it. In his bedroom, at
3: the crime scene, and in his car. In the car? Right in his car. Damn. In and, and the bedroom, too? In the bedroom. Damn. Ah, uh,
2: damn. <laughs> Mr. Chappelle!
3: No further questions! Will
2: you at least admit that O.J. more than
5: likely killed his wife?
3: Sir, my blackness will not permit me to make a statement dismissed. Are you aware of the charges that Michael
2: Jackson is currently facing?
3: Yes, sir. Uh, and for the record, these charges hurt me the most. So he's guilty. Look, man. Look. Michael Jackson has many faces. None of them look guilty to me. You gotta look in the eyes, not the noses. He's been accused of this more than once. So? Some people say the cucumbers taste better pickle. What? Huh? What about
4: Michael saying it's okay to have children sleeping?
3: That doesn't mean anything. I'm sure there's plenty of kids that sleep in the bed with their adults all the time and nothing happens.
4: So
2: do you think Michael Jackson is guilty of the charges against him? No, man. He made Thriller. <laughs> so you'd let your children sleep with him? Fuck no! So- Besides the
1: tape and the girl corroborating the allegations, what more would it take for you to believe he's guilty?
2: All
3: right. If I saw a tape with R. Kelly peeing on a girl while he was singing piss on me, <laughs> and the girl had two of government ID while a police officer was there, like four or five of my buddies and Neil taking notes, yeah. I'm not finished. His grandmother has to be there to confirm his identity. That's why. Robert. Always it Don't forget her hair,
6: Robert.
1: Yes, my
5: mother. Mr. Chappelle, isn't that excessive? No. No, it's not excessive. The, see, I do think it's socially irresponsible, but at the same time, dude, come on. No, context, we, we already uh, did in the last previous
0: episode, we set up that context is everything, but we're trying to understand from his viewpoint. Like, you know, do you feel that if you're a young African-American person and you see that kind of sketch, do
5: you think it could be taken the wrong way? I think any time Dave said black folks do this, Mm -hmm. then it could easily be taken the wrong way. And he did that a lot. Yes. And he did do that a lot. I'm not saying that uh, there weren't sketches that if I were looking back on it from Dave's point of view, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that there weren't sketches that that even I would go, yeah, maybe you got a point there. I mean, it was still funny. It was still super fucking funny, but you know, and at the same time too, I mean, that was probably a sketch Dave wrote by himself, correct? You know, but as that the- was that was probably a sketch where he's like, "How do I make this more relatable?" And the easiest way to make things more relatable is by generalizing. And Dave was using that, and unfortunately, like you and I have brought up many times on this particular podcast, even before we started doing this format, generalizations are the one thing that hurts everybody.
2: Mm -hmm. You're watching when keeping it real goes wrong.
5: (laughs) Vernon Franklin was an exceptional
2: young man. He was the valedictorian of his high school class, won several scholarships, and became the first person in his family to attend college. He got a good job and worked 14-hour days, six days a week, quickly becoming the youngest vice president in the history of the Viacorp Corporation, ending the cycle of violence and drug addiction that had plagued his family for generations. The officers of his company were wrapping up the usual Thursday meeting in the South Conference Room when Frank Murphy, the man who had mentored Vernon, made an awkward comment.
0: Vernon, great job, buddy. You the man, give me some skin, huh?
2: Vernon got along with all of the people he worked with, which in his heart of hearts, made him feel like an Uncle Tom. Though he could have ignored the simple comment his mentor made, Vernon decided to keep it real.
3: Get your motherfucking hand out of my face. You heard motherfucker, get your hands out of my face. What you think this is man, just shake my hand like a man. Man, give you some five on the backhand side with all this crazy job, that's bullshit. You want a little soft shoe? Should <laughs> I jump some watermelons before you go? <laughs> fuck all that, nigga.
4: Hey, Vernon, buddy.
3: Get your motherfucking hands off me, Frank. They <laughs> the gang.
4: It's something the Vernon and I know.
3: Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is O. You ain't heard that before, you like, <laughs> <This is dangerous>. ain't <laughs> I used to be beat motherfuckers up just like you. Just for walking around my way, nigga. Vernon, Vernon, buddy. You better sit the fuck down, Frank. Said, sit down, bitch. Thug like, think he's a gang, nigga? Ow, ow, ow.
2: Today, Vernon works at Sonny's Filler up on Route 80 in New Jersey. He makes $6.45 an hour and stinks of gasoline even when he's not at the station. It's as
5: real as it can be. Today, a sparkling example of when keeping it real goes wrong. You know, and I think when Dave started noticing that he was generalizing African-Americans, that's when everything started going wrong.
0: And as the face and the, the talent he he is holding all the strings to everybody's paycheck. He has to explain everything. He is the face of the show. It's the Chappelle Show. So if he's being manipulated by, let's just say, any kind of writing staff that he's not comfortable with doing something, and he gets, you know, no, do it. It's going to be funny. It's going to be funny. It's going to be funny. And then after the word, he doesn't feel comfortable. That's something that a lot of people didn't take in consideration. Um, is that he is doing something to please. And make sure everybody keeps their jobs. Like, all that pressure, all that weight. And then he, he in many of these sketches, he, he can walk away from it and be like, man, am I hurting what I'm trying not to? Do you feel that's a, a, a factor? You know, I,
5: again, I, I've only, I'm only going off of some of the things that, that happen in certain interviews. And mm-hmm. when Dave was asked about these, he wasn't necessarily, like, up front. You, know, like, you know, I've been thinking about this the whole time,
3: and I've been like a pendulum. I'll never go back. And then it swings back to, like, I can't walk away from $50 million. And then it'll be like, I'll never go back and blah, blah, blah. But this is what I've been thinking about. You know, you were speaking about being part of the problem yeah. and not part of the solution. With great power comes great responsibility. Okay, let me tell you this. Here's a scenario that I could come back to the show on. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I, I, this is what I want to do. Go ahead. I do want to do my show again, provided, one, I can make the proper work environment. But more importantly, I would like to contribute my half of the DVD revenue to some of these calls. I'd rather give the money to the people. What I'm asking is something more from the audience than the network. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to unload this money back to the people that supported me people who suffered in Katrina and and, and and just, you know, people who need the money and I can give back to my high school. Be careful. You need boundaries.
1: You're on national television. I'm not... You oh. should, you, you're on national TV. Okay. So you cannot just say, I want to give money to the I didn't people.
3: say I was going to. Okay. I said I want to. Okay, okay. You just can't do that.
1: People will be lined up at your farm with every sad sob story in the no, world. I
3: don't want the money. I don't want the drama. I just want to do my show. I, w- I want to have fun again. Yeah. I want to finish the season. I want to give the money to someone other, someone that's not exploiting me. And uh, if it can benefit the people, how awesome would that be? If people buy the DVD, they say they do doing for charity. So even if I say something socially
5: irresponsible, it's going to a socially responsible cause. <laughs> right? There was a lot of beating around the bush. It was hard to get a direct answer out of him. He doesn't
0: ever give a direct answer. And, and, And we have a lot of the clips of this Oprah interview that he did after, you know, the show, the third season did not occur. Um, and yeah, he do, he's, he doesn't answer any of these questions.
5: That's what I'm saying. It's like, but from you as a comic, going, do when, you do you underst- From you as a comic, I understand what you- it's like to go off of strict emotion, and you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong, but you can't explain it. Pete, how many times have you helped me out with like with a thought? You yeah. know, like like sometimes there's a thought. I know what it is. This, as soon as I hear what the thought is, I'm like, yes, that's it. But I but sometimes you just get ahead of yourself, and you have a hard time connecting. Everything to make the point to make the proper point that you want to make
0: and the weight of letting someone down that you love or you care about, even though you don't want to do something on your scale. On your level, oh, it's hard. Oh, dude, that, it's It's, it's like the hardest hard. thing.
5: Now, imagine his level. W- that's what I'm getting at, dude. I mean, dude, even when I said I was going to walk away from this podcast, even though I haven't walked away from the podcast <laughs> yet, I mean, it's like part of the reason why it was so hard to walk away is because we did have fans. I had you, you know? It's like there were things that there, there, were, there, were, there was a legacy that, that we created that was very hard for me to look at myself and go, are you ready to walk away? You know, it's very hard. And so Dave doing so many things that may not have uh, come from him, come from his line of thinking, but maybe he's doing it to make Neil happy. Maybe he's doing it to make the writers happy. All these comedy central happy, happy. exactly. Like if he was doing it to make those people happy against his own intuition, Mm -hmm. then, you know, then, yeah, there are going to be some repercussions. There are going to be times when, and when you have those feelings, in hindsight, In hindsight, that eats it, you dude, up. When you, exactly. When you look back on that, when you look back on that, you feel weak. You feel like you feel like you don't matter. You, you know what I mean? There's, mm-hmm. And when you feel weak, when someone feels weak, dude, that brings out so many negative emotions.
0: And, and although, you end up
5: making a rash decision.
0: Yes. And although he's a showrunner, um, and he, it is his show, and he could do anything with it, do you think that stress— on that level, which we can't relate to on, uh, at all.
1: People were saying though that you were on drugs, you lost your mind, you went into a mental institution. What is true? What is not?
3: Not on drugs.
1: Not on drugs.
3: Nah, not for years. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not on drugs. I and were... you
1: weren't on drugs at the time.
3: No, no, no. not at all. Not okay. at all. I'm telling you, I was incredibly stressed out. I, you know, love is like a nutrient and I was deficient on vitamin love. Man, where do you start? Damn this story! <laughs> I, uh, I was doing sketches that were funny but socially irresponsible. Hmm. I felt like I was deliberately being encouraged and I was overwhelmed. So, it's like you're getting flooded with things and you don't pay attention to things like your ethics. Yeah. Or when you get so overwhelmed, it's like you won the lottery. Let's say for your handlers, for instance. Yeah. A lot of these people uh, traditionally get paid on percentage basis. The more you work, the more they the make. The more they make.
1: Yeah.
3: You make that real money. They lost their minds. I thought they were crazy. Uh
1: uh-huh.
3: You know, it was like you got to do everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I got all these things, and I got you know your own personal problems that get inflamed when this kind of money comes in. And I got to write a show and do the show. And I was overwhelmed. And it was almost like, I don't know, it was almost as if this was happening deliberately.
0: Okay. That level of fame? That level of money, that money of revenue, that that, that level of pressure mm-hmm. from everybody and to to know that it's a temporary thing. The Chappelle Show, if he did four seasons of it, I guarantee you it would have lasted a long time and been great. But by there's a point. That show had a lim- limitation to it. It did. You know, it, it did. did. It had a limitation to it like any sketch but comedy that's show. But
5: why, that's why when we look back on it, though, we're like, this is the greatest sketch comedy show ever because, because there ended. was only two seasons. You look at Saturday Night Live and all the amazing, amazing sketches that they have put out for over 40 years now. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're trying to tell me that Chappelle show beats that one out? I'm like, look, if you compiled every amazing sketch on Saturday Night Live and pl- and placed it next to Chappelle show, but it's you got to understand. To me, it's it's not even in the same ballpark. Saturday
0: Night Live, let's just say it's got 15 writers with 15 different viewpoints. You're totally right. It's yes. got it's got a different cast every three or four yes, years. Yes, and
5: it's and it's network Chappelle. television. There was a lot of money behind it. This is Comedy Central. Shh. No money behind. No money behind it. Yeah, Dave Chappelle brought
0: money to Comedy yes. Central.
5: This is two writers.
4: Occasionally, we'll take outside ideas from guys. A couple. people. People, Brian Tucker's one. Uh, There's another guy named Brian Tucker's like the most consistent. Yeah, he's the most successful pitcher, and I think Donnell Rawlings is second place all time. Uh, And then me and Dave will rewrite it. We'll just take the idea and write the sketch based on it. And basically, the our process for writing is just close the door, and uh, Dave and I just take turns at the typewriter. Like, I'll start, Dave will start, then we'll write a quarter of a page or line and say, "Get some of this." And then the other person will come back and start writing some more and either, like, improve on what the other person wrote or or just keep going or do both or whatever. So it's not that complicated. It's not like, so do you do all the, and then Dave, did, and then Neil, you did. there's no, the separation of power is completely like, the separation of duties is just like, we're partners, we write together, and it's, like, that simple.
0: This is... Just Dave in every yes. sketch as the star. theres not There wasn't even a second actor for him. No. It was all him. He had to be the star, you know, and then the side guys, you know, as like Tr- Charlie Murphy telling the story, what he was very capable of, right. but actually acting in the sketch to make it laugh out loud funny, that was only Dave. All that pressure was on him as well. So, and with this, in his mind, being socially responsible. Let's look at some other sketches, like the Wayne Brady sketch. One of the funniest sketches oh my of the God, show. That's the, right? one of the fucking best things. Where, I've ever where seen. Wayne Brady
5: is, uh, he made a joke about Ray,
0: Wayne Brady being like too white or something like that. Uh, that yeah,
5: no. What happened was is uh, how the sketch went. There was. Uh, Paul Mooney, mm-hmm. who was like who was like this legendary comic, yes. used to write for Richard Pryor. I mean,
3: Hollywood is crazy. First, they had the Mexican with Brad Pitt, and now they've got The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Well, I've written the film. Maybe they'll maybe they'll produce my film, The Last Nigger on Earth, oh.
5: starring Tom Hanks. How about that? Uh, but anyway, though, he ends up he goes he did this thing. They called him Negro Damas, yes. and it was and it was him making uh, predictions. Yes. You know, and one of the things that that Paul Mooney said was something about Wayne Brady being super white. Correct. And then th- this and, sketch And, comes and then out. this sketch came out of that,
0: where Chappelle quit the show. This is towards uh, episode 12 of the thirteen season, and Wayne Brady replaced him. And then Dave went on a car wide with Wayne, and
5: Wayne was straight gangster. street, gangster. Yeah. Give me a sandwich. Gangster Give me a sandwich. All the way. Oh, my God. Dude.
3: I got to get some money, man. I got to go to the ATM. I don't have no money. I'll get some money. <laughs> Right here. Where's the ATM at? We at it. Hey! Hey, Dad. Hose, Dave. Dave Hose. Good evening, bitches.
1: (laughs) Good tonight.
6: That's what I like to hear. That's, oh, that's nice. Hey, baby. Thank you. All right, more power than me. All right. Thank you, baby. Oh, oh, Raquel. What's this? Mr. Franklin's lonely. Sorry, daddy. What do you mean? Sorry, daddy. What the hell did you do?
0: Is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? (laughs) To me, the role reversal of what we think an actor is hilarious. Would Dave look at that and be like, man, again, I'm just selling
5: that. See, to me, tonight. what kills me, if he looks back at a sketch like that mm-hmm. and, and feels like he did something to bring the black community down, I think it's sad. Because the reason why it's so fucking funny is you look at Wayne Brady, super squeaky clean, family friendly, you know. Here he is. He's doing improv comedy. You know what I mean? And it's like... But then, all of a sudden, they bring him on this show, and he like when he did the gangster shit and mm-hmm. he pulled out the gun, I mean, I let out a laugh. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming, that sketch. Not at all. I agree. And, uh, is and Wayne and- Brady going to have to choke a bitch? Dude, I lost my fucking mind at that line.
1: Colleagues recorded as saying that you had become uh, increasingly paranoid. Would you say
3: you were paranoid? Sure. First of all, what is a black man without his paranoia intent?
0: And at this point, though, with with Dave, right? You got to realize something that if your mind has allowed yourself to think all these things, which are hilarious sketches, some of them positive social commentary like I said about the legal system. Um, you know, even even life lessons like keeping it real goes wrong, even yes. though he's using, you know, African-American actors, it's life he lessons. He used everybody on that though. Yeah, that exactly. wasn't
5: just primarily Afri- African-American actors. So if in his mind something triggered
0: to be like oh wait, all I can focus on on that Wade Brady speech is I made another black guy look like a, a, a street gangster. If all I can focus on is do you know black people is like the black people that are answering this are answering it in a gangster way. If all you can focus on is on those things and you want to eliminate that, can you write this comedy show anymore? I
3: wasn't walking away from the money. Yeah. <laughs> I was walking away from the circumstances Uh huh. that were coming with the newfound plateau. Yeah, it takes a while when you punch through uh, to adjust to the atmosphere.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It was completely outside of my frame of reference. I've been in show business since I was fourteen, and uh, I've heard the stories. I mean, you see before. Look, Mariah Carey made a hundred million dollar deal, and three months later, she's all of a sudden mysteriously crazy. Or Martin Lawrence punches through and he's waving a gun on the street, screaming. They're trying to kill me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we hear those stories. And it always happens around a time in their career where it seems
5: as though they're crossing over the next plateau. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If there's too much, if there's so much of a weight on you, like, for example, the Wayne Brady sketch. The Wayne Brady sketch wasn't like him being a straight thug. The Wayne Brady sketch was Training Day. He was was Denzel Washington's character in Training Day. That's what it was, who was a police officer. Mm -hmm. Okay? So... But again, I think I know what you're saying. Are you saying like the pressure that a, an African-American like Dave Chappelle, he's got the weight of the world on his yes. shoulders, and now he's over here trying to make everyone happy?
0: He, he can make a positive change with his power at this point.
5: See, I think he did. I do, too. I, do
0: th- I think he did, and I just think but that— But we're taking from his perspective. Do you, obviously, he did and we're not are also taking. That.
5: we're also taking it from a white person's perspective. This is true. So it's like, honestly, I don't know. But again, the one thing I do know is I never met a black dude that didn't like Chappelle's show. Yeah. I I, you know, that was, that was a show that no matter what race you were, no matter what race you were, if you went to work the next day, all of a sudden you are yelling out lines. Oh, you are yelling out, is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? You are yelling, I'm Rick James, bitch. You know what I mean? You are doing that stuff. And the fact, so, so I, understand, I understand where the pressure came from, I understand where the pressure came from, because when you do see him talk about issues, there was one like his last two comedy specials that he put out. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of parts where he is getting real. He is getting real with it. And he goes into talking about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. And uh, and, and the way he in the way he went about it, he goes, that guy's not taking a knee to the flag. He goes, he's standing up for me. That's how he. that's how we did it. When you see the the way he did it, and it was very heartfelt, and you could tell that he meant every single word that he said, there's really no way that you could go wrong with that. Because now all of a sudden, you know, you're basically trying to unify. But my problem is, is the whole idea of unity, you're talking about human beings. Mm -hmm. How are you going to get everybody else on the same page? You can't. You can't. So you can either unify them but you can either unify people by by using things like by using things like comedy and, and pointing out and pointing out flaws and making jokes about it. Look man, we all make mistakes. You know, and when you when you go back and look back on it like wow, well, we all make mistakes. We all fuck up or you could try and overcorrect the problem. Dave
4: is probably one of the only comics around who will go up on stage with like no ideas and come off with 40 new minutes of good stand-up.
3: I, uh, I've been doing stand-up since I was 14 so I've never done anything. Most people say, you know, before I was a comic, I was a Marine on baseball player. I was an eighth grader. How about that? I should say I was a television addict growing up. Like, I watched, I've seen, I mean, it feels like I've seen fucking everything, right?
4: Yeah, you have seen pretty much everything. You are the, you are, like, you know every TV show the way Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy know every movie in every genre. They yeah, like the know, like the most obscure westerns and monster movies, and like these—they're really funny to talk to them.
0: And he had that pressure. Yeah, unity. He had that pressure from himself, from his community, from his peers,
5: from his, from African American leaders. Yes, from I mean there there were stories where when Barack Obama was still uh, mayor of Chicago, mm-hmm. he was calling him and like, hey, you know, and he was one. He was one of the people going, well, you know, I think he kind of. You know, he just basically got into his head. Oprah was one of the people that got into his head. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, there was, there was all these people that just, that, that, that he respected.
4: He said that Oprah has thick thighs and no felonies,
5: which is like just rhythmically funny. I, don't, I think it's racist, but I'm not sure how. I don't know what it is. That they said all of a sudden these people that he respected, they're telling him, hey, you're hurting our cause. I mean, how would you feel if your hero said, I completely understand.
0: That's what I'm saying. I want people to understand this weight that he was feeling. So the last episode of Sopelso season two, he did the sketch of Black Bush, a black president, oh, God, something so that play. is, like you said, something that at that time in 2004, we didn't think would ever happen.
3: Mm-hmm. If you don't want me to like you, all you have to do is successfully run for office.
0: <laughs> I will not your guts like the cultural oh, of America. I knew it, I knew it was going to happen. Didn't think it was but I'm just saying overall people did not think it was I knew it was going
5: to happen when I saw Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact. I was that, like it's a wrap. No, actually <laughs> actually who was it Zeus when he was in Fifth Element. I'm like, well, there he is, he's in the black president in the future, whatever. So you know. at the time though, it was it wasn't something that people saw happening for a while i remember at that time chris rock said flat out there will never ever 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 be a black president the
0: chappelle show happened like you said um it 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 did unify people by making fun of each other but chappelle took it in a negative way his last sketch that we saw was as black bush now season two is over season two dvd sales through the roof dave chappelle now has a 50 million dollar contract to do season three and four season three starts they do uh, a certain amount of sketches, and then as you mentioned, when they were doing a, a sketch about a pixie,
5: someone laughed the wrong way. Yeah. Dave walked away. And I saw that sketch, and it was a bad sketch. Mm. It was a bad sketch. Yes, on the plane, right. Yeah, yeah. it was stupid. And, but you know what, though? But somebody laughed the wrong way, and I, I understand— Do you think,
0: do you think the sketch—let me ask you this, as a comedian—do you think that him realizing the sketch was bad— all the social pressures he had and that he was maybe reaching. Cause that sketch was a reach. That right? sketch
5: was a reach
0: Th- that he realized that in that moment. It was like, wow, I can't do this I anymore. I think
5: he looked at that one sketch and he used that as a summary for the whole, for his whole Chappelle show career. Mm-hmm.
3: I think, would you say you lost your mind sort of?
5: No, no, not
3: exactly. Okay. Uh, I wasn't crazy, but it is incredibly stressful. Yeah. And, uh, I felt like in a, in a lot of instances, I was deliberately being put through stress because uh, you know when you're a guy that generates money, yeah, people have a vested interest in controlling. Yeah. Were
1: they trying to control you? Because, you know, I read the Time magazine article, and they were quoted as saying, you had extreme creative control,
3: and that you really ran your own show. Yeah, okay, well, Oprah, I did two very successful seasons before that. So why all of a sudden on the third time am I in Africa by myself? Like, what's happening? I don't want to make it as a thing where I'm absolving myself of any responsibility. Obviously, I'm I'm
5: partially responsible. You know, a lot of it has to do with me. I mean, because, again, it's like... You know, yeah, that sketch was a reach, but there were a lot of bits and a lot of sketches that involved those very same jokes. And again, when you're talking about race, there's only so many places you can go before it becomes hack. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it might have reached its limit. Exactly. At that point, it was hack and he knew it was hack. And then uh, and then, he write, then all of a sudden, here's a bit that you're not happy with, you don't think it's funny, and then all of a sudden you hear you see this white dude laugh the wrong way. Now, again, I don't know what happened with that white dude. maybe he maybe it was just the way that he laughed. We don't know, but he took it, he took it in his head the wrong way. all the pressures
0: got to him in yes. that moment, so that, and that's what people, people need to understand is that you can say that this is the reason that it broke him, but all the mounting pressures that mean you just discussed, the social pressures the per, per, pressures from real leaders in the country him having this power a 50 million dollar contract pressure to deliver all that stuff is something that we as we can't relate to so dave stopped doing the show on, on season three season three was stalled completely he left completely point blank he's gone he leaves to africa he doesn't even tell his wife he doesn't even tell his kid he just leaves nobody knows where he's at so he just abandoned ship By doing that, now the press is is saying that Dave's on crack. They're saying that Dave, nobody knows where he's at. Dave's in a mental institution. Uh, Dave's this. So all those mounting pressures when he made that decision to just bail and go to Africa, the, the world around him now had stories of why he wasn't there, why he wasn't Well, it was all
5: speculation.
0: It was all speculation. We're not going to say any of it's true. But the mounting, and and Dave is walking away from $50 million. People need reasons like crack, mental illness, and all these things to understand someone to
5: walk away from this, what they built, and $50 million. Most of us don't understand integrity. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't have it. I mean, I have it. I'm not saying most of us don't have it. Most of us just don't understand someone else's integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're talking about fifty million dollars, how many people are like, "Well, I'd sell out. I don't care."
3: And then they put in the paper that I had uh, pneumonia. Or God knows what.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: It was walking pneumonia because I was walking all over the place. <laughs> uh, I was relaxing, uh, and then uh, after that, I, I was coming back to the show, and. uh then They were like, "Well, Dave, you know, you should just back up the pneumonia story." And I was like, "I'm, you know, that was your thing. I'm not, I'm not backing up a pneumonia story." And then the the next day, it was in the paper that I had writer's block. Then I knew something was getting ready to get stressful because I hadn't even started writing. <clears throat> I was on schedule to write, so I was like, "What's, you know, what's going on? Are they going to?" So
1: these are your people trying to
3: feed manipulate me. Sounds like somebody's trying to put young Dave in a compromising position. You know, okay, so now I got worried. So when I said, I'm not going to do it, then all of a sudden it was like, well, now he has walking pneumonia. And then I knew long before I walked, I had considered walking. And the vitamin love was gone because it was a real ugly negotiation. The situation where now everybody's taking credit for this and that and the other. It's all, it's just, it was getting ridiculous. And I knew I was going to leave. So I got ahead of schedule and I bounced. And I didn't tell anybody where I was going. The whole time, they were trying to convince me I'm insane. They were trying to get me to take psychotic medication. Yeah. Like I'm sitting around, you know, I was stressed out. But the people that were telling me I was insane, I believed that they knew what was going on. So uh, this was troublesome. Yeah. I said, I'm not taking this medicine, man, because I know these people be trying to control you. Or, or maybe discredit. I was afraid, like, you but know. But you
1: were stressed out. That's There's why I...
3: no question. Questions. But it's very stressful for someone to constantly walk behind you and say, you're insane. Oh, hey, how about this? I showed the work the first week, and they, where my office used to be, they built a wall there. Why? I didn't know why. But it came out later that they were like, well, they said you wanted it. I don't want to be walled up in the office. I like hanging out and talking.
0: So, so Dave decided when he came back, season three, nobody knew what was going on. Speculation all over the place. Neil Brennan's quiet. He, Neil Brennan really had one quote to say it was like, Dave need, needs help. That's what was put in the paper Now we don't know who said it, when he said it Um, Dave read that, it upset Dave So him and Neil were not talking
5: anymore The co-creators of the show And that right away, fuck you Dave, I'm sorry You know, I mean, you're my hero and everything But dude, this guy, this guy helped make you who you are Yeah This guy, and he was. Even if Dave didn't like who he was at that moment. Yeah, even even if Dave didn't like who he was at that moment, but still, Neil not only helped write Chappelle's show, he helped write half of his stand up comedy routine as well. So let us not forget that. They they were writing partners since they met in
0: 1991 in Boston. And then uh, obviously they wrote Half Bake together. And then they were writing partners, like you said. Who
1: he's known since they were teenagers, had no idea where Dave had gone. When he disappeared, he was quoted as saying to you that you're not well. Is that true? And how did you react?
3: I was pissed at him. You pissed? Yeah, I was pissed at him. You're not well, Dave.
1: Huh? Not you too. Okay, but what you're what you're saying to me and what you're saying to us is that you really weren't well. You were stressed out. You were feeling the pressure. You needed some time. You don't think he was worried about you? <laughs>
3: not really, no. No? I like yeah. it when people can add live. I, I like spontaneity. Yeah. I appreciate I, it in directors. I appreciate it in actors. I, You know, a lot of people get married to a shot list when they're directing. And a lot of actors get married to a script when they're acting. And I like guys that can go off the paper. I think we generally underwrite these sketches. We always have jokes that are like our aces in the hole. What ends up happening in the final is there's a lot of stuff that we didn't. Yeah, it's a lot. That's the best thing. Is
4: you hope you always end up. We always, you know, we always end up needing more than we think we're going to need. Like, oh, we'll be fine. We got plenty of food for the trip, and then you get on the trip, and you're like, uh oh, so you have to improvise stuff and add jokes later. And there's a couple jokes. I mean, there's probably hello fried rice, uh, some long fried chicken. That yes. was that was on
3: again one of those set jokes. Yeah, we're just like we need some here. Yeah, yeah, my grandfather was half white, my mother's father was half white. The grandfather? Yeah, and my grandmother was half white. Ha ha. And then, which would make my mother half white. Right. My father was 100%
4: Negroid. <laughs> Do you think that'll change the, the hate mail? <laughs> <laughs> You quarter white.
3: This is a person you've been writing with for how long? You've known since you were teenagers? How many times do you think he called his sick buddy since he went to Africa?
1: I don't know. How many times?
3: I haven't heard from him. We spoke once. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: A month ago. Mm -hmm. And I called him. He didn't call me if, 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 if he was that concerned about me. I just didn't get the call. I kept the same cell phone number. People I didn't know was calling me, but it's like Neil, you're my buddy, man. You know what I'm saying? Call, call a brother if you're so worried. So, no, I don't think he was worried at all. You don't. I mean, he could have been, but what was the vitamin love, Oprah? What I needed was the a, vitamin a, love? I needed a, I didn't need a note or card, you know. And I feel like maybe it's cultural. That the whole media was dumping on me, and he had a quote like Dave's spinning out of control. It's like, dude, they call me a crackhead. Why don't you say Dave doesn't do drugs? Come on, buddy. Tell him. Yeah.
5: Dave's a part. He's partying too much. I don't go out. Tell him. So when all of a sudden you're you got this highly successful show, someone can't handle the can't handle the success of it, which makes sense. I'm not blasting Dave for that but you also have to take into consideration that there are people out there that rely on you people and then, and in this case and it's and in Neil's case I'm sure there was love there as well like yeah. I'm sure they were best friends I'm sure they were super close and then all of a sudden your friend just up and up and leaves to Africa what the f- what who does that you know and then, and then when somebody goes Dave needs help obviously you did need help Dave yeah. obviously you did need to talk to someone because your family didn't even know you went th- you know you just up and left you didn't tell anyone and with him making that decision
0: Even though, like I said, he was the success of the show. He was the face. He was the entertainment. He was the talent. He was everything. Everybody can say that. But the Chappelle show was a job for a lot of people that would um, have, you know, been lucrative for everybody that worked very hard in those first few seasons that didn't make money. They all lost that job. Yeah. They all lost that paycheck. They got that. They got the resume, but they all lost something where their lives would be life altering. Neil Brennan, probably the most, you know, but even guys like Charlie Murphy, even guys like Donnell Rawlings, even guys like Bill Burr that did these sketches that were going to be used over and over again. The Chappelle Show helped all those careers. It really did. But by bailing, what it did was it, it, it they didn't get the monetary gain that they maybe could have, mm-hmm. you know. So with Dave walking away, he did affect everybody that was close to him. Like I said, he went to Africa without telling his, his wife or his kid.
5: That that's, that's how far deep he was. And, and then, and, so for Dave, to do you get think mad, it's fear? for do Dave to get mad at mm-hmm. Neil for going? He needs help after something like that mm-hmm. is very wrong. I, I mean, Dave, come on, look at it from someone else's point of view. I understand that you feel like maybe you were doing some of these sketches for someone else. I get it, but dude. Come on, man! You had a whole staff of people. It wasn't like it was just you by yourself that you that walked away from serious money. Every you made everyone walk away from serious money. And so, if somebody so if somebody comes up with a statement that questions you, that maybe questions your, they deserve an answer. They deserve an answer. They deserve a legit answer. Yes, you, not, know? you know, not some, not some, you know, Excuse beat around the bush type yeah. of way, dude. They deserve an answer. I'll give you an example. The first season ends.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, and. In the middle of the seasons, there was a a renegotiation. Okay. Ultimately, through a series of events, and a a little pressure, uh, I ended up uh, settling for, for way less than what I wanted and going forward. And then in season two, the DVDs released, and it sets all these incredible records. Turns out, so now suddenly, suddenly... This is a, a bigger money-making they thought. I was already making money, but now yeah. all of a sudden, it's a whole new revenue stream, and my contract's up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, we finished the season. So now, you know, the show is gaining popularity. The ratings are up every week. It's, uh, it's, I'm the toast of the town. Yeah. And uh, when the season starts ending, you know, you get the question. So, uh, Dave, what, what are you going to do? And blah, blah, blah. And I knew to be real tight-lipped about it. You know, it wasn't like Comedy Central was a hot place to be when I showed up there. You know, so, uh, and, and there's a thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: We having argu- all these arguments. They got cut to poop joke. And it was a lot of discussion about we know what our audience wants. I was like, yeah, whatever. And, and I mean, they were wrong 100% of the time uh-huh. as, far as, as far as what people were like. Okay. And the show was an incredibly hard show to do. That's the other thing. I mean, it's fun and all these things, but it, it there's a, a tremendous amount of work that goes into to making a show like that.
0: And so Dave does return um, his next public appearance or, or interview. He does an interview with Oprah. Um, and Oprah asks him point blank all these questions, and Dave jokingly doesn't really answer them. And, and you can see that he is... Overwhelmed to be there in a lot of ways. Like he doesn't want to be on camera, but he's still playing like he wants to be on mm-hmm. camera because he doesn't have the answers or the reasons for why he abandoned this place. Well, because Besides he knows he's in his the wrong. Mind. Besides, he knows he's in the wrong. Well, that's what I'm saying. He doesn't, he never shows that though. He never shows that. He just shows that, hey, you guys don't understand the pressure. Well, because. And he's right. We don't. We don't understand the pressure. But. Don't, but that's,
5: I mean, Kirk Cobain what, killed himself because of the pressure.
0: Yeah, You're right. A lot of, a lot of, yeah. a lot of people have exactly that. Um, so with that, do you think there was any way for, it, do you think there was any way to really recover from that show and do a third season, maybe a year or two later?
5: Uh, no, no. I think at that point he was in his head. I, well, you, he he was, couldn't write the jokes. He was in his head. And again, it took him a while to come back into stand up. Yep. It's not like it's not like he it's not like the show ended and he just kept doing stand up. It's like he took a while off. And he was a performer since fourteen years yeah. old. He was in I mean, Robin that's his Hood. Life.
0: Robin Hood Men in Tights at nineteen. This guy's this guy's life was to get to this point. And then the second he got there and all the mountain pressures happened, he he did something that was without question very odd and a lot of people relied on him and he and he let them let them down. We can say that.
5: So, And the reason well, why he never gave a direct answer is because he knows deep he, and down inside that he was wrong for doing, making that decision. Not necessarily walking away. Is there an answer, though? But just abandoning everyone? Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, man. It's like you got, you owe these people a good answer and just going, hey, guys, I felt like doing it. Like, I'm sorry. That doesn't work for me.
0: I agree. If you want to do the Chappelle show and you're going to get a team behind you and it's a success, that's something you need to know going in. Mm-hmm. Now, did he ever think that it would reach... What it would? N- I, nobody ever thought that. No. Nothing on Comedy Central besides South Park reached any kind of echelon like this, ever. Comedy Central wasn't something that was making money. In 2004, when this show, you know, the second season happened, Viacom bought Comedy Central, too. So he had different managers now, and every note they got from Comedy Central, they're like, Comedy Central was 100% wrong. They always told them the wrong idea, what did work, what didn't. So he had to question himself from so many avenues that eventually he was just like hey you know what i got money i can walk away and i can abandon ship it is my show i put in most of the work yada 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 but in essence it's like when you have that kind of power that's you can't ever do that
3: yeah i love watching comics bombing you can always tell just for comedy you can always tell how funny a comic is when he's bombing
4: it's like it's, the best example is johnny carson who was like the, one of the best bombers of all time like yeah that's a that's a very good example he would bomb, and it was, like, just as funny when he bombed as when
5: he did well. We'll never understand. Yeah. You know, unless you and I, unless this podcast ends up becoming so giant yeah. that people are just going to be yelling out, fuck you, Pete, you know, or whatever, you <laughs> know what I'm saying? Like, wherever you're at, like, unless, unless you and I are getting stopped on the streets every five seconds, then we might have an idea yeah. of what this show meant to the country and to the youth. You know, there were young people, just like you said, comics have such an influence over young people. They do, mm-hmm. you know, and th- because here's the, here's the thing with comedy. This is, this is what works. And honestly, I, I was just having this conversation the other day. Uh, if you look at things at black and white, you are going to get yourself into a ton of trouble. The, the world does not work in black and white. There's a gray area that you have to maneuver in where you have to take your surroundings you know, you have to take into your surroundings to help you get, get, get yourself through to the, to the other side. Um, the thing is, though, is with comedy, you know, and I'm guilty of it. You, you're trying to get people to relate. So you have to generalize. And again, every time that you generalize, something bad is going to happen. You're going to hurt someone's feelings, you know. Yeah. And and as a, and again, a lot of those sketches, all those sketches, they were all generalizations. Mm-hmm. All of them, all of them. Except for like, except for the Rick James sketches or something like that. I mean, yeah, the silly ones. Yeah, and that—that's a form of
0: sketch comedy. And and when you, and one thing that comedians, why comedians reach the youth? Why why comedians reach? because the they youth? do speak in black and white. They tell it like it is, yes. and they tell it like in black and white. That's how the youth see things mm-hmm. because they haven't experienced a lot of life. Exactly. Exactly. So it makes total sense. So he related a lot to the youth, but he wasn't the youth anymore. He was growing up. So with that, his career. After this whole debacle of the show not happening, it stalled. He did, and he came back by doing like underground shows, correct?
5: Yes. Like now how Dave does things, it's like one minute he'll have like a, you know, here in Vegas, we got the T-Mobile arena. Mm-hmm. So he went over to the T-Mobile arena, thousands of people showed up, made them all laugh. Everyone, you know, I didn't, didn't read a bad review. Some might've said like, ah, oh, it's not, well, you know, it's still funny, but it's, you know, maybe some might've like compared it to his older stuff or whatever. I think that's unfair. But uh, overall, the, the, sen- the sentiment is, Dave is still the best comic on the planet, and he loves stand-up so much. Like what he'll do is, I've heard about this happening. He'll go to Denver, right? And it'll be like, he'll get there on Thursday, and all of a sudden he'll just call up the Comedy Works, a comedy club in Denver, and say, "Hey, I want to go to tonight. I want to I go up tonight and maybe tomorrow." He'll send out a tweet and then boom the place is jam packed with people and and they and what sucks is they actually have to bump the comics that are booked there that week you know but dave will go there and, and and again and it's it's totally completely sold out it's all over twitter and it's and that's that's still the kind of reach that he has he could go on twitter still go to a, go to a legendary comedy club like the comedy works just tweet hey i'm going to be here 400 people no doubt turn my motherfucking headphones up Dave is right now. Dave is in my opinion. And I don't think there's too many people that can argue this with me. It's like, you look at Carlin, you look at Pryor, you look at Bill Hicks, you look at Dave Chappelle and, you know, and there's a couple of, the like CK. I mean, it's like, regardless of the scandals or whatever. I mean, it's like, these guys are so one, one in a million, their thought process. And the one thing with Dave is it's like, he had this unique thought process, but you understood it. You got it. It made sense. You know, and that's what made him such an excellent comic because he would bring all these th- philosophies to life. And, all of a, you know, and they, they start out kind of complicated, but then, then all of a sudden you're like, I get it 100 percent. I get it. And that's his power. That's why he's still s- still at the top of the game.
0: He was a performer since he was eight years old. He was addicted to TV, so he always was on the pulse of writers and comedy and what made things laugh his whole life. Um, so yeah, that that that's all very true. And he will be. He is. He one is of, one of the greatest stand up comedians of all time. But when his legacy's all said and done, what will he be remembered for the most?
5: Uh, I think he's going to be. Unfortunately, I think he's going to be remembered for having. One of the best Scotch comedy shows of all time, and he walked away from it. Mm.
1: You got up and you walked out and nobody knew where you were going. Did your family know?
3: Nah, well no, nah, I called my brother. Yeah. Me and my brother real cool. I called him up, was like, uh, I'm going to Africa. He was like, Cool, man, it's good. Did your wife and children know where you were going? No. No, nobody knew. No. I bounced. <laughs> now that sounds real. a little crazy. It's not crazy because the situation kind of warranted it. Okay. Um, because certain people around me were putting my sanity in question, I would meet too much obstruction if I would say I'm doing something like that Yeah. This. Okay. So I figured I, it wasn't that I didn't tell my wife. It was like I'm not telling her till after I'm gone, which was a mistake, but it wasn't a crazy mistake. It's just a dude.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah.
3: It's just like, As a you know,
1: husband, she should have known where you were gone. Is that what you're saying?
3: She was gonna know. Okay. I, you know, I basically I called my brother. I told and I gave him a list. He called so and so and so and so and so, and I took off. Then I called my wife.
1: Okay. My Why wife. were you going to Africa specifically?
3: One, I needed a break.
1: You need a break.
3: Two, we have family friends down there. And three, I just felt like uh, it was a place where I could really reflect. Mm-hmm. It's just a place that I got to go. And what did you conclude about yourself? Oh, well, I wasn't paying attention. I felt really guilty about being asleep at the wheel. Hmm. I felt guilty about it because uh, I forgot the the hostility of the environment of show business. It's a, you know, it's not a, a docile environment. It's a challenging environment. Yes. You know, and there's some quote that someone had told me. It says, "Success
5: takes you where character cannot sustain you." I personally, now, when I think of Dave Chappelle, somebody's like, hey, what do you think of Dave Chappelle? Boom, comedy, straight up. Stand-up comedy. But that's because I'm a comic. So I look at him. He's been my hero. I mean, Dave Chappelle is my fucking hero. I remember being 14, watching... Uh, a 19 year old in Robin hood men in tights. And I'm like, that dude's hilarious. And then I saw my Dr. Katz. Remember that comedy mm-hmm. show on comedy central. And then I saw a stand and then, and then stand up. And then the Def jam that he was on. And all, it's like all of a sudden everything, I just started seeing nothing but this guy. And I'm like, this guy is this guy knows America better than anybody. He knows America better than anybody. And he says it. And I love him for it.
0: Do you think it is harder for a black celebrity to deal with fame than a white celebrity in America? Yes,
5: yes Absolutely. Because white white celebrities never have to worry about white what what white people think. Mm. You know, white celebrity white celebrity can do whatever they want. They could rap, they could break dance, they can uh, pick up a g- guitar and be in a metal band. It doesn't matter. It's like no one's going to sit there and question their whiteness. Unfortunately, for black celebrities, b- uh, b- African Americans, and I'm not saying every African American, but there is a pressure from that community. From, for them to act a certain way. And if you don't fit inside that mold, you know, I've seen them get attacked. You hurt and, the community. And I'm sure, and I'm sure there's going to be some black folks listening going, what the fuck is Gooch talking about? Well, I'm sorry. I know, I know way too many black dudes that are, that are like, that, that get called white for whatever reason, you know. Which and is very insulting. It's very insulting. Yeah. It's extremely insulting. Is Wayne Brady going to have to choke a bitch? Dude it's extremely insulting. And why is it? Because that are a republican? Is that is that, really? It's like no, dude, he's just as black as you. He's he's gone through the same misconceptions that you have to go through. You know, like why like but but he has a, he just has a different view. He has a different path that he wants to take it doesn't make him any less black. Now if he's over here being Sam Jackson and Django Unchained, then we got a problem, you know. But that's not happening. So it's like, so that's, that's what I think that was. So as a black celebrity, I just, that's what I've noticed from the outside. It's like, they can't just do their own thing without, without a certain number of, number of people questioning them. So it's like, so that's the thing that's upsetting about that. You know, if it's like, it's, it's, a, it's amazing how I see, how I see, you know, black entertainers attack each other. It makes no sense. There's a hate culture
0: for, for everything out there. There is, and unfortunately, um, you know, for black entertainers, like you said, I, th- I think there's a, there's a, a hate culture that holds them back, you know, and it might have got to Dave. I don't know. I think it did. I you definitely know?
5: think it got to Dave.
0: But it's it's definitely something that you know people have to address and look into. Hey, I, look. Think, I think it's a big deal. But uh, on the flip side, also the pressures and all those things. Well,
5: I like, take this for example, right? Mm-hmm. Again, Dave has a way. Of getting through to everyone, yeah. In his and his last that com- power, yeah, is real. In his yeah. last comedy special, in his last comedy special, he had a way of going off on Trump supporters, right? Not vicious, not vicious. What he did instead of coming from instead of coming from, you know, Hollywood left where they're like, you're fucking stupid. If you voted for Trump, you're a fucking idiot. You're an idiot. First off, he points out that Hillary Clinton was a vicious bitch. Mm -hmm. Okay. He points that out straight up. And then he goes, he goes, then I went, he goes, then I voted. He goes, and when I voted, it was in a little town in Ohio. That's one of his, that's where he lives. He goes and he goes, and it was all white people. And he goes, and they were dirty. He goes, they had face all covered in coal. You know what I mean? It was the way he did it. It was like, but, it, but, but he came from a place of like, I understand why you're mad. You don't have any jobs. You don't have anything to look forward to. America has given up on you. You're upset. He goes, so I'm not going to sit there and look at somebody and call them a certain name when they are also disenfranchised. That right there was such a poignant point. It made so much sense. And then he went on to fucking shit on Trump, but it was like, but it was Trump the man, not the, not, not, not the followers. And that's where everything goes wrong, you know? And and that's what I'm getting at. Like he, Dave has a way of, of looking at both sides and going, you're wrong, you're wrong, but this is where we can be right. And unfortunately, if you point out a side and say, Hey, you're wrong, the other side's going to go, no, fuck you. I'm right. You know, and they're going to, and they're, they're going to attack. That's just the way it goes. So it's like even if you're in the middle of things, and maybe, maybe you might lean slightly right or left, even if, you're, even if you're so close to the middle, there are still going to be people on the outside that are going to be pulling you in one direction and in, in, in opposite directions, and it's, and it's unfair.
0: And him being the voice that he is, uh, as important as he has been his entire career, for, for the way he sees things, that will never change. No, so, it won't. So luckily for that, his legacy, hopefully when it's all said and done, will more or less... Land on that opposed to what happened with the Chappelle Show.
5: Totally, and it's like hopefully, hopefully his future Netflix specials will end up gaining even more steam, and eventually he gets back on top. That's what I want to see. I want to see Dave back on top of the standup game. Nobody's questioning it. I want to see him back on top of the standup game. Any, you know, and at, and at this point, it's kind of hard. To get back on top you know because but I also but I just want him to maintain that success I want him to maintain that voice because I don't think anybody has a finger on the pulse of America better than Dave Chappelle
0: once again I want to thank Brandon Guchan for joining me this week make sure you follow him on Twitter instagram at your buddy gooch and facebook brandon gooch Hahn. and subscribe and listen to us every monday on the metal sucks podcast send emails questions and any figure you may want us to cover rise to offend at gmail.com follow us on facebook and twitter at rise to offend instagram rise to offend official and don't forget to rate and review the show on itunes today and spread the word until next week, we're Offenders, RTO Podcast, signing off.